on this April 1st. There, is the microphone's on. Uh, we are continuing and actually kind of on the final lap of our series called Pressure Points. Uh, we're a few weeks in. We've got uh, today and next week uh, to wrap up this series. And in this series, we've been looking through the book of James in the New Testament of the Bible, uh, specifically at how God wants us to grow in the pressure points uh, of life, the different things that we face that we're overwhelmed by, anxious by, uh, things that just kind of stack on our shoulders and we walk through life. And sometimes we just have this feeling of when will this just be lifted off? When will this be kind of removed from me so I can move forward? And what you find in life is actually God wants to meet us in the things that actually weigh on us. And that's where a lot of growth occurs in life. And so through the book of James, he takes us on this journey through different areas of life, showing how you can actually experience a lot of what God wants from you in the middle of the things that you're facing. And uh, here at Church in the Valley, our, our goal is to help all of us learn how do we walk with God in the middle of life, and not just on a Sunday or not just when we're uh, coming to a community group or a Bible study or a class, but how can we, when we go to work, you know, walk with God there? And how about when we're at home or when we're kind of in the middle of planning our lives and our goals and objectives, like how, how does God factor in to each aspect of our life? And so over the last few weeks, we've been looking at kind of this perspective from James in the scripture of, of what that looks like. And if you've missed any of the weeks, I encourage you, you can always listen online at churchinthevalley.com and you can catch up and also find uh, the handouts uh, on there as well. Today we're talking about something that impacts us all, and that is conflict, okay? Um, but here, here's the thing. Anytime you talk about conflict in church, uh, we, we actually have to kind of take off the, 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 the hat we put on of uh, perfection, okay? Because how many of you came to church this morning thinking, I need to make sure that I look like I have everything together, right? You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll do it for you, right? At church, we usually think like that's the place that I need to come and make sure everything looks like I have it together, like I don't have problems. It's easy for us to do that. We actually do that in life. We kind of put on hats, we wear masks, and we just want to be appearing okay to people. But what you find is, again, it's in the messiness of things that that's where God wants to meet us. And that's a big part of why the church exists. How do we help each other in the middle of the messes we find ourselves in? And nothing quite feels as messy as conflict when you're not seeing eye to eye with somebody. Arguments. And we know that because if you've ever been upset with somebody, mad or angry or frustrated, that becomes like the focal point of, of your day, right? You can be having a great day, but if you, you get in this conflict with somebody, it just can derail our progress. It can kind of just become the focus of what we experience. And so we're going to actually be like looking head on at conflict. And over the last few weeks, I've been asking you to kind of think through your own life uh, before we talk about what the scriptures say. And so here's what I'd like you to do again. You're not sharing this with anyone, but if you write it on your notes and you leave it here, somebody could read it. So if you write on your notes, take it with you. But I want you to think. When was the last time that you got in a conflict or an argument, a misunderstanding, right? Whatever it is, when was the last time uh, that that happened to you? Just think about the most recent conflict you've had with a spouse, with a roommate, with a coworker. Think about that. You can either write it down or think about it in your head. I want you to just think about the last time that's happened. I'm going to give you about 30 seconds. 
My sense is that if it was relatively recent, you, you can remember it. It's on your mind. And it may still even bother you. Maybe something that you still think like, why did they do that? Or why, why did I do that? Or you, you could be mad at yourself. You could be mad at them. It just can bring up the, those emotions. And that's what happens in conflict. There's always this regret that we have for things that we've done or said or frustration at what someone else has done. And the reason I want you to identify that is so many times in life we deal with conflict and it's like a bump in our road. And, you know, over time we just kind of get over that bump and we keep going. And then it's another conflict and it's another bump. But what you find is is if you actually don't approach conflict in the right way and and think through the reasons that that conflict is happening – what just starts as a bump, can, it can end up just being this, this hilly path with boulders and all sorts of obstacles that can really stunt our progress in life. And so I, I want you to think through the conflict you've been experiencing. And in light of the scriptures today, kind of look at that conflict of things that, that God may want you to do differently. Maybe some things that God would like you to, to see it differently. Because that's the most helpful. As we take the scriptures and we look at actually what I've been facing in my life, that's where it becomes real. We talked about that a few weeks ago, the difference between true and real. Real is it impacts me. So today's scriptures, I I hope it it can impact you in a real way so you can look at your own conflict differently. Not disgust over what you've done or disgust over what someone else has done, but actually with how could I handle this better in a way that pleases God in the future. Okay, so that's, that's the goal for this morning. I want you to, to have some tools from the scriptures to actually deal with some of the conflict you're facing. Because again, that's where real pressure is. When our relationships are bad, life seems to be bad. When there's frustration that exists between people close to us or people that we see a lot, it impacts our life. We all know that. And so my hope today is that the scriptures will give you some, some practical help. Okay? So we're going to be dealing head-on with, with conflict uh, in the chapter, uh, the fourth chapter of the book of James. And so I want to start with this kind of, this premise that, that James establishes in the, the first few verses. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to kind of chunk the pieces of the, the passages I read. But here's James's premise on conflict. Conflict, it actually reveals a misplaced hope. If you've ever experienced conflict with someone, there is a misplaced hope that exists And oftentimes, the misplaced hope equals expectations. It's expectations that we have for somebody else. You know, we have expectations on people all the time, even people that we don't meet. Today, I went to a coffee shop and I ordered a cup of coffee, as I do every Sunday morning, as I prep for my message, and I have an expectation, right? Like, they don't have to smile, but that helps. But I do want good coffee. I have an expectation. I'd like a place to sit. I'd like the music to not be too loud because I'm trying to focus. I'd like for me to be able to get a refill and so the coffee to be made and kind of continue through the day. And as you see, I'm just talking about a coffee shop where I have no relationship with the people except like just seeing them every week and just kind of smiling, saying hi and getting my refill. Getting my coffee and getting my refill and getting my coffee. And I have that in a coffee shop and you have expectations all the time. And that's just with people we don't even know. So the people that we do know, the people that we relate to, spouses, friends, roommates, classmates, siblings, all sorts of things. We place expectations on them. 
James starts in chapter 4 speaking of these expectations, and he talks about them in desires. And this is what he says in, in verse 1. You can read it up here on the screen. What causes quarrels and what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Now, as we've read the last few weeks in James, he doesn't pull punches. He's very direct. So when you know he asks a question like that, he's setting you up. Like, you better have a good answer because I'm going to tell you what causes it. Okay, so he's just setting it up. Here's a rhetorical question, and then I'm just going to hit you with it. Okay, it says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Then he goes on in verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so James is talking about passions that kind of rage within us, desires, and those are really under this umbrella of expectations. We have goals for other people. We all do. We have goals for other people in our life. We'd like them to do things a certain way in a certain timing, and most of the time they don't even know it. So many times expectations on others are not even known to them. And we get frustrated because they don't meet our expectations. And then you realize that they didn't even know that they existed. And this happens in relationships all the time. Somebody doesn't do something that you wanted them to do and you get frustrated. Then they react to your frustration. Why are you frustrated? And they're frustrated at you for being frustrated at something they didn't know. And does it stop there? Like, okay, cool, we're frustrated. No, it usually escalates. Well, you didn't tell me you had these expectations. Well, I would tell you, but every time I tell you, you react like this. Well, the reason I react like this is because you don't tell me and you blindside me by all these expectations. This is like a little too real. Right? But th- this, this happens. This just happens all the time. Something slight that we wanted somebody else to do and they didn't. And we kind of hold a little bit of discontent. Now, James takes this the whole way. He gets this picture. If you want to know why people actually take the life of somebody else, it's desire. It's expectations. It's passions. If they want something so bad, they're even willing to take a life. Now, he says this to to wake you up. To the people that he was writing this to, he's like, wake up, people. We get to the extreme where we may not want to murder people and take their life, but we might be willing to hurt them. Maybe not physically, but emotionally. If they don't give us what we want, we might be willing. And if we're willing to do that, then it it can escalate. And he's just taking kind of the full where these desires end up. We're willing to do things to get what we want. So he's just writing this, this idea. If you're facing pressure and conflict, he's writing this to people. We've been talking about pressure. We've been talking about pressure and He's going on further. You're facing pressure in your relationships, conflict, misunderstanding, arguments, fighting. If you're placing this, if you're experiencing this, there is some misplaced hope that you have. And I want to talk about kind of 
more of, of where this comes from. Let's start at the real source of conflict. And I've kind of already talked about this, but the real source of conflict, according to James, is those, those desires we have, which is really our, our expectations. And if you look at the scripture, I've, I've, I've made it bigger, but you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You do not have because you do not ask. And the real source of conflict comes from unmet expectation but even further, what he's talking about when you, you do not have because you do not ask, it's you're looking for people, for the people in your life to meet your expectations. Not only do you place expectations on people, but what James is saying is, is you're actually looking to them to meet those expectations. So there's a sense of you, whoever it is, somebody close to me, you need to meet my needs. What James is saying is the real source of conflict is from looking to others to ultimately meet our needs, to bring us happiness, to make us feel okay, to make us feel better. And we pile on our expectations because they are our hope. The reason relationships are such a struggle is because many times you have two people that are looking to the other person to meet their needs. And they pile on the expectations and as somebody fills the expectations from another, they feel that way and say, well, I fill those expectations and here's mine on you. And then you've just got two people that are related to each other that are just weighed down by expectations that are just crushing them. So the, these unmet expectations, these goals that we have for other people, this is where conflict starts. Now, for those of you that kind of thought about the most recent conflict that you faced, and you still have time to think through that. Did you have any expectations on the other person? Just think about that. Did you have any expectations on the other person? Just take about 10 seconds. Just think. If you could think of just what was one expectation that you had of them. I have expectations. I'm going to share mine. That'll be more conducive than me just opening it up and everyone feeling awkward. But here, here's the expectations I have. Like I, I actually like relative like peace at home. Like quiet. Like I have an expect, expectation. That's a goal. Yesterday morning, I woke up, and I had kind of a picture of my morning. It was going to be like quiet. Drink some coffee. Read the newspaper. Like, I have this in, in my mind. Like, that sounds like a great Saturday morning. But I also have people that live with me. And they're called kids. Do you think that was their goal and expectation? Wouldn't this day be great, this Saturday morning, if Dad could drink his cup of coffee and we could not make any noise so he could read his newspaper? Do you think that's what they thought? I could tell you, I don't think so. But yesterday morning, I was started to get a little bit frustrated because it just felt kind of loud. 
And just by my need for peace, and peace in itself is not bad. But neither is it bad that kids in the morning want to not be peaceful. But there you see, like, just two sets of people with two different goals. And I just started to sense myself getting frustrated. Okay, guys. It's morning. Okay, Dad. Okay, Dad. Yeah, it's morning, Dad. Yeah, I'm... You know, that, that frustration, it was there. And for, for each of us, oftentimes we don't know we have the expectations until we feel the frustration. So another way to look at did you have expectations is where were you frustrated? Or where are you frustrated? With people in your life that frustrate you? Why? What James is saying is if we kind of are honest with ourselves and our situations and what's going on inside of us, we actually need to peel back and be honest and say, like, we have some desires there that we want that person to meet. And it could be you just want people to help you in your life, whether it's at home, whether it's roommates, whether it's at work. You've got things that you need to do. And the expectation you have is all I'd like is just a little bit of help. You ever thought that? It's not a bad expectation. Just help. I just I can't do this alone. That's an expectation. Uh, another expectation we have is is affirmation. We, we want people to just recognize us a little bit. Appreciate. You ever thought that? Like a little appreciation would be nice. Maybe you didn't say it like that, but it's like. What about me? Thought that. Where? I'm here. You ever thought that? And then you're like, hey, guys, I, I'm here. And I've just been doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm still here. That's an expectation. Just to be encouraged, to be affirmed. Uh, understanding. That's another expectation we have. Like we want to be understood. We want people to see what we see. We want them to see it like we see it. We want to be understood. So you kind of throw those in with, with peace and all those are actually not bad in themselves. But what again starts to happen is we place these expectations and these goals on the people that we relate to in our life. Whether it's a deep, close relationship or a casual relationship. We, we just see kind of a role that somebody needs to play to meet some of these needs. And what James is saying is these desires, unless they're, not direct, unless they're directed at God, you, you're going to face conflict after conflict after conflict in your relationship. If you continue to pile these expectations on the people close to you, the friends that you have, your kids, your spouse, whoever it is. The conflict's just going to continue to erupt and to create lots of problems. So he says right here at the end, you do not have because you do not ask God. Now, verse three, if you go on, he switches. Then he says, now, if you get to the point where you ask, you just feel desperate, like people are not coming through for you. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So this is just this interesting thing. He's saying we tend to live our life independent from God. That's actually how we're all born in this world. That's sin. We want to do life our own way. We have expectations. We want people to meet it. And we want our own goals met. We have our own priorities. And we just want to live life our own way. But when you become a Christ follower, you, you actually turn away from that path of that independence, 
self-sufficient, self-fulfilling life. To be a Christian means you, you go against that. You go a different direction. That is, instead of my self-sufficiency, I, I'm actually looking to God to meet my needs. I'm looking to God for help. And so he's just talking to just this, all of us. We who are independent and look to others to meet our needs. And he ended verse 2 with, you don't even look to God for help. And as I read that, I'm, I think to myself, that's true. In my relationship, so many times, I just figure out, how, how can I solve my problems? How can I make this better? And there's a sense, and sometimes in the independence that we have, we just fail to look to God for help. And then in verse 3, he just widens it a little bit. For even of you that ask and finally get to the point where you turn to God, you turn to God, but it's, it's really only to get your needs met. And he's saying the Christian life can't just be that. Where you just come to God as a vending machine. Okay, God, I won't place these expectations on people. But can I get a little peace? And we just kind of, how much does that cost? And beep, A2, little peace fall. We pick it up. Thanks, God, I got peace. And then we go independent. It's like, oh, man, I need a little encouragement. Okay, God, B3, beep, beep, little encouragement. All right, thanks, God. And there's a sense in like, God, just meet my needs, meet my needs. And there's not a sense of, this relationship where it's what, what do you want from me, God? And that's what James is saying. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your path. You're spending, hoping to cash in what God can give you. And so this misplaced hope, the expectations that we have that people can meet our needs. James is saying, if you're feeling the pressure here, there's, there's, there's hope and there's change. And so he switches gears and he talks about the real source of hope. But he does it in a roundabout way, still with this kind of like challenge. And if you're not challenged by these words, it, it's like you have to read it again because James is just saying, stop. Think about what you're doing. Stop. Think about what you're doing. And then he goes on. You don't receive because you do not ask God. And then in verse 4, he says, you adulterous people. Now, now you know where everyone stands. He's saying, not only do you have problems, but you're cheating on God. You're not turning to him. He's not your help. You are cheating on God. And he explains why. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose... It is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. And so this is this picture of friendship with the world is going along with the world in its ways. And what's the world in its ways? Well, the world in its ways is there. There is no God. Not one that you actually live for. Not one that you actually get to know. Not one that's personal. Not one that can help you. Not one that can give you direction and guidance. That's the world's view of God. If there is a God, he's impersonal at best. And if he's impersonal, you might be able to pray to him and to get what you want. Like maybe he's like Santa, but a little bit more spiritual. That's kind of the world's guidance. Just the world's guidance. We just live independently, and then as needed, God can help us. Live independently, and as needed, God can help us. Jesus is saying like that, there's no hope there. 
So the real source of hope is not friendship with the world. It's friendship with God, the one who made you. And to kind of bring home that point, James says in the last, this idea of he yearns jealousy. Now, oftentimes jealousy is very negative in connotation, especially in a relationship. If you've ever been with a jealous person, that causes a lot of conflict. You ever had a friend that just wanted your time and they kind of wanted to restrict what you, you do? Jealousy is, is not, not healthy, except there is a, a pure jealousy. And in this original language, the, the definition here is, is this, this yearning, as you can see. It's, it's, it's yearning for something that, that belongs to you. What James is saying is because God has made you, because he sent Jesus to die for you, your, your, your soul is, is connected to him. He has this love, this deep love, this jealous love, where he is crushed when he sees us living independently from him. There's no hope living independently from God. So this jealousy that James describes is this this connection where you realize I I can't look to others to meet my needs. I can't put the weight of that on somebody else. I actually need to turn to God for help. I need to turn to God in the moment of what I'm facing. That's what he describes. He yearns jealousy over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. So he wants us to see there, there's these desires and expectations that we have. It causes conflict because our needs aren't getting met. And the root of all that is independence from God. We don't look to him for help. We, we look to other people. I don't know about you, but this actually kind of challenges me. I, I have expectations that I don't even realize I place on those around me. The reason I know that is because I experience frustration. And that frustration shows something that I wanted somebody to do for me and they, they didn't do it. So I want to kind of turn the corner and, and talk about what he says is the, the solution. So here, here's the good news with the way James writes. He wants you to kind of feel bruised and battered a little bit. Like, okay, yeah, I, I'm kind of messed up. And then, like, when you kind of got to the point where you're like, I'm kind of messed up, I need help, he kind of lays it on a little bit, you know, thicker. No, I mean, you're cheating on God. Okay, 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 okay. When you get to the final point where you're like, what, what should I do? Then, then he gives you some encouragement and, and some help. And it comes in the next part, and that is that God gives us grace when we hope in him. The reason the grace is so helpful is because we realize the predicament and the problem that we find ourselves in. And that is placing the expectations on people, getting disappointed, getting frustrated, placing more expectations, and this just swirls, and they do it to us, and we do it to them. We get to the point where we're like, we need help. At the point where you realize you need the help, that's where the grace of God comes in. Because you're finally willing, as James would say, to not be independent from God. 
to actually look to him from help. And this is the friendship with, with God. And he says this in verse 6, James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Now, right there, I, I just want to stop there really quick. Now, our, our lives, if we're honest, can be messed up at any point. We're, we all have messes in our lives. Things that we wish were better and they're not. Relationships that we wish were further along. We wish we had relationships that we don't have. There's just all these things sometimes in our life where we just we're discontent. Or we just feel like we don't have it together. Or we feel like we're not making progress. And we just keep hitting this wall of discouragement and disillusionment. And it just piles on. And it piles on. So James is talking to the audience. It's just a lot like us. We're a mixed group of people that have a lot of messes in our lives. It's not clean. There's lots of stains There's lots of things that we don't have together. But these words are the comfort that comes from turning from our independence to actually looking to God for help. And it's this. But he gives more grace. So whatever more we have, whether it's conflict, pressure, the independence, his grace is more than that. Our disappointment, his grace is more than that. Our frustration, his grace is more than that. So whatever thing that feels like it's spiraling out in the middle of the pressure that we're facing, he gives more grace. There is no greater hope than that. And so James sets this all up so you get to the point where you're like, I need help. I need help. And then he says, good. He gives more. What? Grace. Favor. It's unmerited favor that he gives to you freely. God doesn't give you grace because you have it all together. He's not doing an inspection. Okay, you get a little bit more because you kind of cleaned up your act. Now, in the middle of our messes, in the middle of our pressures, in the middle of our conflict, he gives more grace. We haven't earned it. And so that's the hope. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is where we have to get real with where we are. Because the proud sees what's messed up, but decides, I'm going to just keep pressing on. I'm going to keep on the course and hope it works out. The proud don't admit that things are messed up. And we can all do that. I want to encourage you. If things are messed up in your life, call out to God and ask him for help. If things are messed up, Tell somebody you know at Church in the Valley that can pray for you and help you. Because this verse is saying God opposes the proud. Those who live independent, who thinks that they're self-righteous or okay without God, it's just he's got his hand on your head and you cannot move forward. And you're just trying to move forward and it's just God's hand is there. Am I going to get past God? No, his, his hand is there. He's opposing me. All right, Alex. There's more grace. But you have to admit that you need my help. All right, God. Let me just try this one more thing. Just admit 
you need God's help. And as you humble yourself, the hand that was opposing you because of your pride, now it grabs your hand and it leads you on. That's what walking with God is. But it comes to those who realize that they can experience more grace by asking God for help. So I, I want to encourage you in that. That, that. that piece right there, no matter what you're facing, His grace is more. And then He wants to walk alongside and lead you in the middle of what you're facing. I want to close out our time by just giving some practical ways that this looks. Okay. So the big picture is things get messed up because we're messed up. Okay? And we're messed up because we look to people to meet our needs. But people can't meet our needs. Only God can. So what James writes in the first few verses is the way you get the help is admit that you need God. And once you admit that you need God, you can receive his grace. Okay? So then, once that happens, and you're now deciding to walk with God in the middle of the conflicts and the pressures and the frustrations and the anger that you experience, he gives you just these practical steps. And these steps that he's going to describe in the next few verses, are they kind of just write themselves. And they're so practical that if you want to know, okay... Once I turn to God and ask him for help, what am I supposed to do? James, James describes it. And he talks about how conflict calms when we put our hope in him and submit to his way. So the conflict dissipates. The storm calms down. And we admit we need his help. So in the middle of conflict, with what you're facing, you just, you just tell God, God, there is some frustration and some anger and some pain going on right now, and, and I, I need your help. I need your help to act right, to think right, to choose the right attitude in the middle of this. Once you do that, God is working for you. And he'll lead you. And then this is what James says. This is how it comes. And this is James 4, 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So there's, there's a lot of steps right there. And a lot of it I've, I've kind of talked about in terms of moving from independence to depending on God. And that's, that's where he starts, this, this idea of submitting yourselves, therefore, to God. So I was thinking through like, what this would look like in life, like in a real practical situation. And I was thinking, you know, it's Sunday. Not about you, but on Sunday, I start to kind of think through my next week. And oftentimes on Sunday, what's looming in the next week begins to weigh on me now. Does that happen to you guys? Right? There's a reason like everyone hates Mondays because they come and it means the end of the weekend. But on Sundays, I'm kind of the person where it's like, it's already here. I'm already kind of like, oh, this week's going to be stressful. Okay? I don't say it like that most of the time. Okay? But here's what I'm thinking. Like, if you, if you had a big project at work, this is just hypothetical. You have your own stuff. But this next week, think about what's looming on you. Okay? You have a big project at work. You're not feeling well. You're tired. 
And it's at those points in which we're mostly vulnerable. We're stressed out. Our health's not great. And we're tired. It's really hard to choose the right thing as we relate to others. But in the middle of this, you have somebody close to you, a friend, a family member, a roommate, that you sense is discouraged. They're just kind of down. And maybe a little anxious. And maybe even needy. You wouldn't say that to them, but you're like, man, they just kind of seem like they need some help or encouragement. Now, we look at that person with what they're facing through the lens of what we're facing. That's how life is. It's our expectations. We look at them and their situation, we think, wow, they're kind of under it. And then what usually happens after that? But so am. Finish that. I, you didn't get Sorry, I didn't set you up. That was really bad. So God... Jesus? No, so, so am I. They're under it. So am I. That's always what happens. They're struggling, but so am you guys are, man, this is, I'm feeling better about this. They're frustrated, but so am No, James, actually, that one was James. You didn't. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just keeping you on your toes. But that, that's what happens. We, we have our week, all the things, and we just kind of, we see the situations, we see the people, but we always kind of default to, so am I. We're basically saying, well, what about me? Okay. And so James is writing, if you can go back to that, the verse, he, he's just having the steps. What do you do when you're faced with all these things and all you want to tell God is, but so am I. What about me? I see them and what they're dealing with, but what about me? So he starts with this, you, you submit to God. And that is you take your goal and your expectations and you give them to God. God, I'm tired and I'd like rest. I'm not feeling well and I'd like health. And I have a big project and I'd like this to be completed. But right now, you've placed me in a situation where somebody needs encouragement. God, will you help me with what I have facing as I try to help them? That's submitting to God. My goals, my expectations, the what about me, you give to God. God, will you help me? Okay, so that's what it means to submit to God. The second, resist the devil. Okay, this is tied. You have to submit to God and resist at the same time. And this happens in the situations that we face with what we have going on in our life. It's not some spiritual, like, we resist the devil when we're at church. No, you have to resist the devil all the time because he's out to get you all the time. But oftentimes, the attacks come like this, as you're relating to somebody. Why do they always... Blank. Like, why do they always do that? Why do they always come to me? Why do they always have... Problems. Why are they always stressed out? Why are they always sick and tired? Whatever it is, we just fill in. Why do they always? It starts with that. Or how come they always ask me for help? And what happens is the devil helps us with these thoughts a lot. Like being frustrated at people. Wondering why they do that. We get in a judgment. And so there's this battle. Like we submit to God and we look to help and serve those around us. But at the same time, the devil doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to ask those questions. Like why are they always doing the things that they're doing? And that frustration builds and builds. And so resisting is just, God, 
I know there's times in my life when I'm really discouraged. So help me to be an encouragement to this person. You just refuse to get into those thoughts where you're judging them. When those thoughts come, you, you, you stop. God, that's not a right. That's not a right thought. I confess that. Help me to think what's right. Just because you had the thought doesn't mean it was your thought. Sometimes we get thoughts the devil puts there. So you have to filter. Is this right? Is this pleasing to God? This happens right in the middle. You submit to God and then at the same time, like this negative thought comes to that person. So you submit to God, you resist the devil. As you're resisting the devil, you need to draw near to God. And this is just a prayer. God, help me to do what's right in this situation right now. I'm tired. I have a big project. I'm not feeling well. But God, will you give me the strength and will you give me your power to choose to do the right thing? Submitting to God, resisting the devil, and then you draw near to him. Drawing near is you pray. You ask God for help in the moment. And then when that moment passes, you face a different moment, a different situation. You ask him for help. And then he talks about this cleanse your hands and your hearts. That's when you're in conflict, you just stop doing wrong. So maybe you made the wrong choice. And you have this person close to you that's under it. They need encouragement. And they come to you and they begin unloading on you. And you're like, I needed to get to work early so I could have a little bit of time to myself. And you say something like, I can't handle you right now. You ever said that? Or thought it? Or have you ever just said, you, just, you need to get over it? Now, sometimes guys, you know, we can actually say that. Women, you may think it, but you can say it in a lot better ways relationally. Guys, we just kind of like, dude, suck it up. Get over it. But if someone's like really under it, do you think like, that's helpful? Uh, probably not, right? There's just something when somebody's, you, you, get over it. Because I'm getting over it. Right? And so in this moment, the cleanse your, your hands and hearts. It's like when you've done wrong and you've reacted the wrong way and you've been harsh or you've torn them down or you put your expectations on them, you, you, you confess that to God. God, I had a chance to do right and I, I was wrong to them. Will you forgive me? And then if you've messed that up in a relationship and you were harsh and you actually clear it up with them, you ask for forgiveness. That's this idea of cleansing. And so it's, it's great how he says this because you're, you're submitting to God, you're resisting the devil, you're drawing near to God. And in the middle of it, he's saying, and then you still need to cleanse yourself, which is saying, you're still going to mess up. In the middle of all that, stuff is still going to unravel in your relationships. And there's still going to be pressure. There's still going to be all sorts of problems. And then grieve over your sin. Don't become callous. And that's just justification. You've done something, but all you can see is the reason you did it was because of what they did. That's not grieving over sin. That's becoming callous and hard to it. But I've thought that so many times. I wouldn't have been harsh if they wouldn't have said what they said. I can't control anyone, what they do or say. But I can deal rightly before God with what I do. So grieving over sin is you, you, you have to call sin what it is. Okay? The world's ways, again, what he's talking about, friendship with the world, we're justified. If you feel it, share it. If you feel it, share it because you feel it. 
Just because you feel it doesn't mean you should share it. It could be wrong. Just because you care deeply, you have passion about it, doesn't mean it's right necessarily, especially in a conflict. And so you, you grieve over your sin. And then the last thing is you humble yourself and wait on God. So he goes back to this. God walks with you and he helps you as you humble yourself. So I want to encourage you. Think through expectations. Think through some disappointment. Think through some frustration. All that's the breeding ground for conflict. It represents a misplaced hope. An independence from God. But he gives more grace. So the first step for you might be just to admit where you are and ask God for help. And then with these these verses I've just read, there is tons of things that you may need to do. So just think through. What's one of these? Is it in the middle of what you're facing right now you need to draw near? Is it to resist the wrong thoughts? Resist the devil? Is it to humble yourself? Is it to cleanse? Is it to confess some things that you've done and you realize they're wrong? This is not hypothetical. God wants us to learn to do this with what we're facing right now. So I don't encourage you, just take the time to do that. I'm going to call the band up and I'm going to pray and we're going to wrap up. But just think through this in, in your own life. And I want to encourage you, as you do this, you can experience hope like never before and the grace that God will give you in the moment. Let's pray together. We're going to receive our offering and uh, sing a song back to God. And then we're going to wrap up the series next week. And so I want to encourage you to, to be here for that. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us despite the mess that we find ourselves in and even despite the mess of who we are at times. Thank you that you've made us in your image and so we have value even despite when we mess up. And God, we thank you as well for your grace, which covers abundantly more than what we've done in our past, uh, what we're doing right now as we're off track in our life. And God, I pray that we will experience that grace and in the middle of that realize that we, we cannot move forward as we're independent from you. Just show us our expectations and frustration that we're placing on others around us. Help us to humble ourselves and to really see things from, from your perspective. So God, I, I ask this and for your help as we all do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.